Here's a word from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. When John heard in prison that the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who has come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good knees brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. When they did, did you got to go out to see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare the way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Are you the one who is to come? Are we to expect someone else to come? John's question may seem strange. Jesus was his cousin. John had baptized Jesus when it seemed Jesus should have been baptizing John. John baptized with water, but the one coming after him would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He was a prelude. He steps out into the scene as a bold prophet, condemning the sin and corruption of a nation and calling Israel to repentance in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. The crowds came to hear him and many responded. When Jesus came to John at the Jordan, the prophet recognized that he was the anointed one, the one God had sent to save the people. John finds himself in prison. Probably somehow he knows he is closer to the end of his life. Could it be that what was so clear in the wilderness is not as clear now. The view in both Old Testament and other ancient Jewish sources was that the Messiah was to be a powerful ruler who was to reign and usher in a new era of peace. Jesus speaks of his mission in one of the clearest statements in the gospel about it. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. Jesus said to the crowd that day regarding John the baptizer, What did you come out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you come out to see? A prophet? The people that day went to the river probably expecting to see a religious show. What they got 
was a man announcing the advent of God's Messiah. Many weren't ready for what they received. Perhaps we're still not ready today. The words spoken by the Messiah is a striking way. Jesus did not come to gain earthly power. He came, according to the people, to serve them, bringing life instead of casting away those persons who are on the margins of society, persons that many want to hide away and send somewhere else. It is precisely to those people that the Messiah came to restore and save. Greatness comes through Jesus Christ. If we think of great people, we think of political or military leaders who accomplished significant things. Perhaps Napoleon Bonaparte, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln. If we think of people who do great things in science and technology, we might think of Madame Curie, Jonas Salk, George Washington Carver. We admire those who have achieved much. They serve as excellent models, and we respect their dedication and skill. But Jesus is making it clear that in the light of eternity, human accomplishments are not the source of true greatness. God has an entirely different standard. Everything Jesus points to involves serving the poor, those who suffer from disease or physical handicaps. While the people were awaiting a Messiah at the head of an army, Jesus is saying that God's new kingdom doesn't work that way. It's a kingdom of love, compassion, faithfulness, and service. John the Baptist helped prepare the way for the coming of this new kingdom. We are able to look back and see from the different advantage point all that God has done to demonstrate his love for us. It's not enough simply to see how will we respond to God's call. Mike Childress writes about today's scripture and ministry matters that we too are challenged to reconsider what we expect to find when we leave the safe and acceptable confines of our sanctuaries on Sunday. What do we expect to find in our neighbors as we leave the church? Who do we anticipate will be the recipients of our ministries? Do we expect to move and work in settings that meet our expectations of a good life, where people think, act, and dream like us? As Christ's disciples, do we manipulate our world so that we are comfortable and have the amenities and creature comforts of the American way of life? Are we the church speaking truth to the powers that exist in our day and time? Or do we fear ridicule and chastisement for those, from those who pay the bills? Do we turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to injustice so that we won't upset the people who are the power brokers in our congregations? If the answer to such questions is a painful yes, then we seek to treat ministry as a reed shaken by the wind or someone dressed in soft robes, as Jesus put it. The image here is of soft Christianity that lacks any spiritual backbone to confront justice, injustice. 
Jesus' cousin was the pro in prison because, as William Barclay puts it, was incapable of seeing evil without rebuking it. He had spoken too fearlessly and too defiantly for his own safety. Today, the church is being called once again to leave its safe and unthreatening confines and enter the world shocked by what it finds. Our shock is to motivate us to speak truth to injustice just as Jesus and his would-be disciples did on their own. It will take disciples, not just admirers of Jesus, to do this. Madison McClendon is the son of a friend of mine. Several years ago, he wrote a piece for the Christian Century blog about something he experienced as a graduate student at the University of Chicago Divinity School. Living in the Chicago area, he joined with members of his church and neighborhood and marched on Chicago's north side. As they temporarily shut down traffic, he tells of noticing of a woman in a car. Some of the motorists were trying to turn around or glaring at them. Others were supported by honking their horns in rhythm with the song that they were singing. But this woman did nothing. She sat there, parked in the middle of the procession, wiping tears from her eyes. With visible emotion, she registered shock as this small but mighty band of faithful marched with a processional cross at the lead proclaiming that black lives matter. As the crowd's emotions were jubilant and joyous, Madison said he couldn't feel but sad. Perhaps the woman in the car has been waiting many years for a sign that the body of Christ is alive in the world. Maybe she wanted to see that the salvation God has promised is more than dead words on a page, that it's alive in the feet and in the mouths of those who believe, and this world needs to see us in this message that Christ wins the ultimate battle, not with a sword, but with sacrifice. Let us meditate and reflect on what it means that God would become one of us. Let us rejoice that love has come down to earth. Let us marvel at what great things God is going to do. Many in the world are waiting to see the body of Christ before their time is up. Maybe we can be the ones to show it to them. Thanks be to God.